wondering, where is the love in 2017? Well, 100 years ago, in 1917, they asked the same question. It was a time in history that they referred to as the war to end all wars. It's kind of ironic because that was World War I. But in the midst of that, a newspaper in England asked the question of philosophers and intellectuals and pastors, what is wrong with this world? And they actually each Sunday would print an article, many insightful articles, hopeful articles, hopeless articles. And then they asked G.K. Chesterton, who is a well-known Christian writer, And I'm going to go ahead and take a moment to read his entire article. When asked the question, what's wrong with the world? This is what he wrote. Dear sir, I am. Yours, G.K. Chesterton. Short, to the point, and brutally honest. See, we live in a broken world and we're broken. We contribute to the problems around us. See, we are given to think that I'm right and others are wrong. It's more important to be right than to make things right. But Chesterton says we shouldn't blame other people. We shouldn't judge other people. The world changes when we grow up and we look in the mirror. Now James, the half-brother of Jesus, spent more than two words answering the same question. In James 4, he writes, Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have and are willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours and will risk violence to get your hands on it. You wouldn't think of just asking God for it, would you? And why not? Because you know you'd be asking for what you have no right to. Your spoiled children, each wanting your own way. You're cheating on God. If all you want is your own way, flirting with the world every chance you get, you end up enemies of God in his way. So let God work his will in you. Yell aloud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom and cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. If James had a microphone, I think it would be at this point, he would drop it, right? (laughs) He didn't mince words either. We are part of the problem. And this is important as we wrap up this series, Adulting, to realize because if we're part of the problem, that means we can be part of the solution. We don't have to be victims to everyone else. There are things that we can choose to do differently. And some of us are here and we're hungry for more. We're hungry for a a deeper relationship with God. We want more relationships that are healthy. We can be part of that solution. To have healthier relationships to play well with others. There are certain things that we can do, but we gotta realize from the beginning that there's a spiritual problem that we're facing. Philippians chapter two says it this way. Don't be selfish. Don't live to make a good impression on others. Be humble, thinking of others is better than yourself. 
Don't just think about your own affairs, but be interested in others too and in what they are doing. See, at the core of relational immaturity is selfishness. If you've had a child or maybe you're an aunt or an uncle and you've had a little one in your life, you know that our predisposition is to be born selfish. They're cute and cuddly, but they demand of us. They are selfish. In fact, our job as parents is to help raise them to be less selfish. The next stage is to share and eventually get to the point where they are so willing to care for others that they take care of us, right? (laughs) That's the goal of parenting. But it's an uphill battle because we're naturally bent towards selfishness. Well, there was a Jewish theologian named Martin Buber who lived in a time that was quite divided. He was a university professor in Germany during the rise of Hitler, and he escaped before the Holocaust. He wrote a book in German called Ich und Du, which in English is translated as I and Thou. In modern-day English, you and me. It's profound because it comes from his own faith and conviction that the problem between us is spiritual. That actually we need to have an understanding that other people are just as valuable. Wanting to be as understood as we want to be understood. They are just as loved by God as we are loved by God. See, this picture gets messed up when we lose sight of people of being separate from us, unique from us valuable. Instead, we treat them as objects for our own use. It becomes I and it. We see other people for what we can get from them. And this is obviously unhealthy. It's rooted in our selfishness. We not only treat others as objects, we try to get all that we can from them for our own selfish gain. And we blame others, and we block others, and we defriend others. And Certainly, we need to have healthy boundaries. There are some people that we need to create those healthy boundaries with. But oftentimes, we are so prone to avoid people who believe differently, look differently, act differently than us, realizing that God values and loves them just as he loves us. You know, I read this article this week that it says that Facebook is actually making us more narrow-minded. Does that surprise you? Probably not. And there's algorithms, literally, whatever you like, you get more of. And so as a result, you only see what you like, and you become this echo chamber. The only way out of it is the family and friends posting stuff you don't necessarily want to see. After the first service, someone came up to me and said, I really needed that because I've lost the relationship with my daughter because of what we've been saying on Facebook. I wonder if we would begin to, begin to realize that, that God can use us as part of the solution. I mean, in every relationship, we have to measure, am I looking at this with a selfish lens? Even parenting, am I more concerned with how this looks on me or what's best for him or her? In every relationship, I want you to consider for just a moment, just an honest, personal evaluation in the quiet of your heart, where only God can hear, I want you to think about two people. Two people that may be more of an it in your life right now. You wouldn't have said it that way, but but you're looking at them for what you can get from them. 
Maybe the first person I want you to think about is someone you don't necessarily know very well, but they frustrate you. They annoy you. What they do, how they treat you or someone else, you'd like to give them a piece of your mind or you'd like to put saran wrap on their toilet or in their door frame. I'm not saying to do that. I'm just saying you might feel like doing that. But I wonder, what assumptions have you made about them? Have you summarized, have you come to closure and generalized or dismissed them too soon? How would things change if you started to view them the way that God views them? Knowing that sometimes hurt people hurt people. We're experiencing the worst version of them because they may be going through the worst moment in their life. But I want you to think about a second person. Think about a person you love. But if you're honest, you've been taking them for granted. You haven't been considering what they want. You've heard them, but what you desire is winning out more in your mind. You're not really valuing them or cherishing the way you should. See, Buber reminds us that there's a divide between us and others. And that divide can be bridged when there is sacred space between us. When we look at others through a lens of love, the same love that we want, we begin to give. We invite God's perspective in to view other people along the way. So I want to give you three helpful tactics to grow up relationally, to play well with others. And we're going to look at kings from the scripture, Israel's kings, Saul and David and Absalom. And we're going to learn what not to do so that we can do what's actually healthy. The first healthy tactic to bring into your relationships is this, check your assumptions. Oftentimes we assume the worst and we jump to conclusions. And we see this in the life of Saul. See, Saul was the first king of Israel. The Israelites wanted a king so badly. Everybody else had a king and they wanted a king. God wanted to be their king, but they wanted to be just like everybody else. And so they chose Saul. Now Saul looked the role of a king. He was tall and handsome and strong and powerful, but he had a character defect. He assumed the worst in other people. He was easily offended, easily made jealous. And there was a young man named David. David slayed Goliath. David became more and more famous for the victories that he would win. And so Saul assumed the worst in David, that he was trying to take his space in his place. Saul says these words in 1 Samuel 18. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. He looked at David through a filter of negativity, assuming the worst. There's this moment where David was playing the harp for Saul, right? This warrior was also a, an artist. And he's playing on the harp and Saul's just seething with rage and grabs a spear and chunks it at David. Fortunately, David was not only good on the harp, he was quick. And he jumped out of the way and ran for his life, realizing Saul must either not like that song or not like me. And so he began to hide from Saul, and Saul took his army to find David. David and his men were hiding in a cave. 
And there's this great story. The Bible doesn't mince words. David is hiding in this particular cave, knowing Saul is out to get him, and Saul has to go to the bathroom. And Saul goes into the cave, right? He wanted to take care of business privately, unaware that David was in the cave. David's men realize this is a great opportunity. King Saul is in a very vulnerable position. (laughs) David, you can take out your enemy. Kill him before he kills you. But instead, David does something rather ingenious. While Saul was taking care of business, David comes over and with his sword, he cuts a piece of Saul's robe off. Just a tiny piece. Saul finishes what he came in to do and walks out and there with his men, they are about to start looking for David again and David comes out holding the piece of robe saying, Saul, I could have killed you. I respect you. You are my king. Saul was ashamed and embarrassed. Listen to what David said in 1 Samuel. This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. So do you have spiritually mature relationships or do you see things through a negative filter? Do you assume the worst in other people? Is it more important to make things right or to be right? If you want relational peace, we need to follow in the teachings of Jesus. See, there are two different occasions where Jesus seems to contradict himself. In one place, he says, if you've been offended, then it's your responsibility to go to that person and to share with them how you've been hurt. But then in another place, he says, if you've offended someone, it's your responsibility to go to the person you've hurt to make things right before you even come to the altar. So which is it, Jesus? Was Jesus confused? Did he forget about the other passage, the other teaching? Or does Jesus know us so well that he knows that one of us is probably not going to want to do it? (laughs) And in reality, often neither of us do. We'd rather stay mad. We'd rather have the argument in our head. But you know what? If you were to take his words and apply them to your life and actually sit down with that person that hurt you and just say, hey, I don't know if you meant this, but when this happened, it really hurt. If you've ever had the courage to do that, you might have been amazed how that was never their intention. Sitting down face to face gives the other person the opportunity to make things right, to apologize or to even know that what they did hurt you. If there's someone right now that you know has hurt you or someone right now that you know you've hurt, it's your responsibility to reach out. And it's more important to make things right than to be right. That's what it means to be mature along the way. Well, the second tactic, rather than carrying a grudge as Saul did, carrying a grudge and carrying a spear, we should have Assume the best in others. But tactic two is be present and listen. Now, David does eventually become king. And at this point in his story, he's got kids who are grown-ups. And one of these, his oldest son was named Absalom. Absalom has a sister named Tamar. And there's this horrific story in the scriptures in 1 Samuel, or 2 Samuel 13, 
where David's other son, Amnon, from another woman, so Absalom's half-brother, lured his half-sister Tamar to his house where he raped her. Tamar is in shock, has been violated, and her brother Absalom reaches out and invites her to his house where he would care for her, take care of her, and where he gave her great hope. Don't worry, our father is the king. He will bring justice to our half-brother Amnon. He will stand up for us. He has our back. And the scriptures even tell us, 2 Samuel 13, when King David heard of this, he was furious. But in spite of being furious, days went by, weeks went by, months went by, and David did nothing. Was he too busy? Was he too afraid to bring justice on Amnon? Was he too guilt-ridden by the decisions he's made, feeling he had no moral authority to step in? In verse 39, it tells us that King David longed to go to Absalom. He knew the right thing to do, but he never did it. See, we need to learn to be present, to, to truly listen. And it's hard in our world. There's so many distractions all around us. Right? I was listening to a podcast this week and a comedian named Aziz Ansari was talking about how he can be in the same room with people he loves and they're all looking at their phone. And he says he just can't stop reading the internet and it's stupid stuff. It's about animals finding their owners. It's about you know, politics. It's about sports. He says, it feels like I'm on the millionth page of the world's worst book and I still can't stop reading it. Well, I have found this to be an area that's really challenged me and I've shared with you bits and pieces of a real struggle that my wife and I went through years ago and it was about this very thing my inability to be truly present to truly listen and this was before iPhones were invented like I was an overachiever I was a workaholic with a Blackberry and with a laptop and there were always times where my wife would just say, I need a little bit more help. The kids were smaller at that time. And, and when are you going to be back? And, and I just had so much to do. I would always just say, it, don't worry, it'll get better. It'll get better. And it never got better. Busy days turned into busy weeks, turned into busy months, turned into busy years. And at one point, my wife looked at me and she said, Eric, I don't want to be a pastor's wife anymore. Now, this was a bad thing to hear for two reasons. One, I was a pastor. <laughs> and obviously, I was not taking good care of her to where she felt like the only way that we could survive as a couple is if I were to step out of that role, that calling. But the second reason this was also terrible news to hear was before I ever met my wife, as a young girl, she felt like God's calling on her life was to one day be a pastor's wife. I'd so neglected her, I'd so mistreated her that she was willing to give up her calling because she felt like she was barely able to survive. There was a lot of pain in those months, a lot of hurt, and we went through counseling and I asked for her to give me one more year, just another chance to reorient how I treat her and the kids while still in my current role. And after a year, we could see incredible progress. And in several years, 
later, as we are now here in Austin, we had kind of a, a breakthrough. There was a summer of 2013, and we started going on these walks, and, and we just talk, you know, good 30 minutes at first, 45 minutes, an hour, sometimes an hour and a half, just walking the neighborhood, walking Ladybird Lake, and and, and there was another thing that I did. My wife has always enjoyed drinking coffee, and I wasn't a big coffee fan. Uh, but I discovered if you put enough cream and sugar, anything can be good. And I, I'm like the Beastie Boys. Like, I like my, you know, my sugar and cream with coffee, I think is that one line they have. And, and so I started drinking coffee. And about two or three times a week, we'd have coffee together. About four or five times a week, we'd go on walks. And there was a stretch that we'd go on a walk every night. It was about 10 o'clock at night, because this was August here in Austin, and you know, it was 100 degrees in the shade. And so we'd go on these walks every night at 10 o'clock, and two or three times a week we'd have coffee. And, and there was a really busy stretch in August of 2013 to where I was gone 14 nights in a row. And so we're on our walk, and I just kind of asked her, I said, hey, Deb, how are you doing? And she said, I'm fine. Why do you ask? And I said, well, I've been gone for 14 nights. She said, you have? <laughs> and then I was offended she hadn't noticed. But then I realized something. Because we had these walks and because we had coffee, she didn't notice how busy I was. It's when I had a realization. If I go on enough walks and have enough coffee, I can do anything I want. <laughs> now, that's not the goal. But it was incredibly insightful. You see, on these walks, the conversation moved beyond logistics of raising kids and paying bills, beyond just survival, and turned into conversations about what God was doing in our lives, what we were learning from the scriptures, what we were hoping for in the future. Learning to ask questions, to really get to know her heart, to really listen. And I found it's not easy to look at my phone on a walk. And so the phone didn't come and it was just the two of us. I'm so grateful she gave me another opportunity. But I wonder if you are in a friendship, you have an extended family member or even a spouse that you have drifted, which by the way is the default. Our natural default is to drift from the people we care for. We have to be intentional about spending time together. But when you're together, are you truly present? Are you truly willing to listen? Too often, we don't ask good questions. We don't really seek to know. We take people for granted. I remember there was this one young guy, I was a part of a church in LA and he was an intern for the summer and this was just a terrible example of what a bad listener I was at the time. He came in, he was a few minutes late and he began to describe, I'm so sorry I was late, I was in a car wreck and I wasn't listening. And I just said, oh, that's cool. And he said, dude, I could have died. I said, from what? He said, the car wreck I just told you about. Oh, that's cool. No, that's, I gotta start listening, right? See, sometimes we're so busy with other things, we're not really where we are. Are you present? Are you listening? Well, the third tactic is to be upfront about what you want and what you can offer. See, we looked at this in the first week. Emotional, mature people actually know how to express what they need and what they want. See, too often we 
hint, we drop clues, we presume they should know what we want. But unexpressed expectations are rarely met. In fact, what happens when we don't say what we need, we become embittered. That they didn't help us in a way they didn't even know that we wanted help. And when bitterness grows, resentment grows. And when resentment in our heart grows, doubt grows in our minds. I wonder if, if you realize that some of the challenges in your relationship has nothing to do with the other not listening, but has everything to do with you not expressing what you really need. And learning behind, like, why am I frustrated? Why am I angry? And trying to figure out, what is it I need in this moment? Emotionally mature people know how to express what they need. We all need to be more upfront about what we're hoping for, what we're expecting. And then the person at work or in our home or our roommate can then explain whether they can or cannot meet that need and maybe renegotiate a way for that need to be met. But when we don't have the conversation, we put them in a position where they can never win because they don't even know why we're mad at them. There's a, a little boutique, a hotel boutique that is in different places across the country. One of them's here in Austin. It's called Hotel Indigo. And they pride themselves on meeting ridiculous expectations. And so now more and more people are sending them ridiculous ideas, like in the little special request when you book a room. And so one came through. One 20-year-old guest requested a pillow fort. And they arrived to find this. Or Sarah, a woman named Sarah, was a guest at the Hotel Indigo and on the Riverwalk in San Antonio. She requested some extra towels and a photo of Nicolas Cage. Just what she got. Sorry, I'm late, Nick. Or this one in the Woodlands. She writes, I really, really need a photo of an adorable kitten on my bed and a towel folded like a swan staring deeply into its eyes. And there you have it. See, if you don't ask, you're definitely not going to get it. But if you do ask, the people in relationship with you have the opportunity to try. And if they can't explain what they could do or how to help you get that need met. See, Absalom never expressed what he really wanted from his father, from David. He should have learned from his own father's mistakes or the mistakes of Saul. But the rift continued to grow between them. He was unwilling to go to his dad and tell him that he needed justice for his sister. He needed to be reconciled. He needed to be treated like the prince that he is. 2 Samuel 14 says it this way, In all of Israel there was not a man so highly praised. Talking about Absalom, his handsome appearance. From the top of his head to the sole of his foot, there was no blemish in him. You see, the people really respected Prince Absalom, and they looked forward to the day that he would become king. But now there's a rift between him and his father. And so Absalom, this charismatic, handsome, strong prince, stood at the gate of the city. And anyone who was coming in to meet with his father would be stopped by Absalom. And Absalom would say, why have you come to meet with my father, the king? And they would explain what they needed. And Absalom would say, well, my father doesn't have time. Or my father won't help you, but I can help you. He did this for four years. And at the end of the four years, which now leads us 
to 11 years after the rape of his sister. It tells us in 2 Samuel 15, Absalom stole the hearts of the people of Israel. Absalom knew that the people were on his side, and so he rose up and overthrew his father. He became the new king, and David fled for his life. Right now, I just want you to take what we're talking about and and really personalize it. I want you to think about someone who's disappointing you right now. Maybe it's a boss who passed you over for that promotion. Maybe it's a friend who hasn't spent time with you in a while, or maybe it's an overly meddlesome parent who seems to nag too much. Or maybe it's your spouse. Or maybe you're disappointed with God. See, Jesus would take time and he would look at those who needed help and he would say to them, what do you want me to do for you? What do you really want? I want you to think about that today. If Jesus were asking you that question, how would you answer? What do you want from God? What do you really need from him? And learn to answer that question for those that you're disappointed in, who may not even know that you're hurt. See, projecting our expectations on someone else without ever voicing it to them, without asking, leads to insecurity and bitterness and anger, and that's immaturity. But being upfront and honest with people, not only about what we need, but what we have to offer, allows us to live in healthy relationships. We each week pointed out the next steps, and, and we have some out at the connect spot, or you can go to gatewaychurch.com slash next steps. But on the back is a little exercise. I really encourage you to do it. It's, it's creating a user's guide for you, a user's manual. It, 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 just answering the questions, you might be surprised at what it kicks up. But it could be what you hand your boss or your spouse or your friend. Here's how to best relate to me. This is a user's manual. This is how I will better play with others, right? Ted Beasley, who's a part of our teaching team, uses this with CEOs that he consults with. It's a really helpful exercise. See, there are things about you you may not even realize are behind the anger and the disappointment and the frustration. But tragically, the story of Absalom does not end well. Absalom has made himself king and the armies of Absalom ended up getting routed in the field by David's army. And tragically, David's general Joab kills Absalom. It's not what David wanted. He had not sent his army out to kill his son. And it was a moment of clarity for David. It was a moment when he realized his son was gone. The little boy he used to hold in his hands, who he used to sing to, who he used to pray for, the young man with so much potential was now gone and their relationship ended without ever being reconciled. And he cries out something he should have said years prior. David cries out, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. See, Absalom had no desire to see his dad die. He wanted his dad there. Maybe there's some relationships that that feel like they're too far gone, but 
Maybe they're not. Maybe there's some relationships right now that you're, you're just starting to drift and you can feel it. What if this week you work towards assuming the best in others? You decided to, to be present, to listen. You decided to be upfront about what you need. The world would be a better place if we began to love even as we are loved. So during this next song, I want you to consider those areas of disappointment and what you, what God is leading you to do about it. Listen to this and consider your next step.